is the Adam Crowley Show. Oh, no, 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 no. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. The Penguins already did all they need to do. Win one in Washington. And they did so in typical Penguins fashion while the Capitals did what they do. No Malkin, no problem. Man, have I said some wrong stuff over the last few days. I reported exclusively here on the Crowley Show that Baker Mayfield would not go number one overall. I was wrong. I said that the Penguins were in trouble without Malkin. I was wrong. The Capitals are now 0-3 over the last three years when the Penguins have been without, in order, Latang, Crosby, and Malkin. Woof. I did say the Steelers should trade up in the draft to get a linebacker, and they should have, but it didn't happen. And they certainly should have after they acquired an extra third-round pick from Artavis Bryant. So much was happening last night. So much. Terrell Edmonds. Edmonds? Terrell? I'll get there eventually. Was the eighth-rated safety on Mel Kuyper's big board. What were the Steelers thinking? You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. All draft, all pens today. Not going to touch Jung Ho Gung. Although I do find it odd that North Korea and South Korea have come to peace terms the second that that bastard leaves that part of the world. First things first, though. Terrell Edmonds is not high on a lot of draft boards. He had a fourth-round grade from John Ledger, who we had on yesterday. He was ranked in the 70s by Mike Mayock, and he was Mel Kuyper's eighth-ranked safety. Now, he's got a lot of upside. He's a physically gifted specimen, but he's a project and not somebody you want coming in and starting day number one. I'm as big of a Kevin Colbert fan as you'll find in this town. He's a fabulous general manager, and he's a really good dude. In fact, I got hammered at training camp last year, could not find my debit card, and Kevin Colbert returned it to me later on in the day. Kevin also found Le'Veon in the second round, Antonio Brown in the sixth, and has brought in all pros such as DeCastro, Pouncey, and Cam Hayward. Oh yeah, and he's built a couple of Super Bowl rosters. He's one of the best in the league. This currently is a Super Bowl caliber roster. Bang, there's my disclaimer. Because fans get carried away with criticism. Just because you might not like the Edmonds pick does not mean that Colbert and Tomlin are incompetent. That being said... I don't love the Steelers' recent trend of drafting some projects and hoping that they can develop them. I'm always on team draft a more finished product, especially when you've got a franchise quarterback who isn't going to be around for that long a time. If you take this dude day two, I think you're all good with it. I think I'm good with it, and I think maybe he could have been there. But Artie Burns, Sean Davis, and Bud Dupree were all raw players with a lot of upside, not necessarily guys who were going to be great from day one. Did Artie get better from year one to year two? I don't think so. How about Davis? I don't think so. Bud Dupree played really well down the stretch two years ago, but did not take a step forward this year. T.J. Watt was ready to step in, and he did last year. He played well. Juju Smith-Schuster was young, but a possession receiver and not a project. They've had success with both, but more so with plug-and-play guys. Here's why, though, it's not terrible. The players I mentioned not developing are an outside linebacker, and then mostly secondary guys. Joey Porter's still around, and I said before that I'm not in love with that decision. But there is a new secondary coach, and clearly, Carnell Lake had not been getting it done. The Steelers feel better about putting Edmonds in the hands of Bradley. I can get behind that. A reach, a project, not my favorite, but I'm not going to kill him for it. 
Just because he's 70th on Mel Kuyper's board doesn't mean that he's not 28th on the Steelers' board. And Mel Kuyper, last I checked, not a general manager in the National Football League. Mike Mayock, good at what he does, not a general manager in the National Football League. John Ledger could pick me up and throw me over a house, not a general manager in the National Football League. As much as I respect their opinions, I do think Kevin Colbert's got a pretty good hand on what he's doing. Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is going to join me in 15 minutes to discuss. The Penguins, though. Oh, my God. I've watched the highlights about 15 times, some with my hand down my pants, others with me fully clothed. Uh, Also, I've watched the game a second time. It was glorious. Here's one thing I didn't like from Penguins fans last night, and we've got to stop this. I've got to put an end to it right now. I'm doing it. I'm saying stop. Can we not point out every time Murray gives up one on the glove side? So many tweets talking about his glove last night, including our best friend, Richie Walsh. It's not even funny. Who said both goals. Both of them. Glove hand. Give me an effing break. If Murray's glove was as weak as people think it is, they wouldn't have won the cup twice with him. Period. It sounds ignorant and stupid when you point it out. People did the same thing with Flurry, too. It's all rose petals and firecrackers and smacks on the ass with Marc-Andre Fleury now. He's beloved, but he was crushed at times in Pittsburgh. So let me just take the gloves off. I pull no punches. If you don't understand football, you blame the quarterback. If you don't understand hockey, you blame the goalie. With all due respect to the people tweeting, glove side this and glove side that, you're nitpicking way too freaking much. The first goal was a breakaway with one of the sickest dudes in the game, Kuznetsov, who's just dirty. And that puck got off his stick faster than you can say Ovechkin hasn't won a cup. The second goal was a two-on-one with the aforementioned Alexander Ovechkin bearing down, and he tucked it right under the bar. Don't tell me either of those were on Matt Murray. It's an issue when two of the better players in the game and two of the best players in this series are walking in on the goaltender with no one in their way. It's not his fault. And then Matt Murray made up for it. So y'all sound stupid. Murray's save on Smith Pelly with the blocker was dope AF, yo. Murray's game is usually predicated on being big and being positionally sound and being calm. But he made a few tremendous athletic saves in this game. The Pens were down 1-0 with just over 18 minutes to go in the second. And Smith Pelly had a chance to create some distance between the Pens and the Caps. And Murray said, hell no, bitch. He made a huge stop on Kuznetsov walking in the slot with just over 10 to go in the second period. The blocker, the waffle, was big time for the big man in this one. Later, he stopped Connolly with the paddle again. This one was with the game winding down. What the hell does Murray have to do to win over the fans if winning the cup twice is not enough? What a spoiled bunch of babies we've got in this town as hockey fans. Is the glove the strongest part of his game? No. Does he have a bad glove? No. If you've got weaknesses, NHL talent will weed them out. He won the cup twice. Bad weeding, National Hockey League. Murray will play a stinker at some point moving forward, whether it's in this series or another series down the line. That's the way it goes. You're not going to be perfect every night, especially not playing a team like Washington or whomever would be left. Boston and Tampa are good. When he does, when he does have that bad game, maybe lay off the dude a bit because he just helped the Penguins steal one. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Josh Getzoff of the Penguins Radio Network is going to join me at 5 o'clock to discuss. Last night's game was a microcosm of Alex Ovechkin's career. 
He set up a goal, he scored another. We know he can do that. The guy's got 100 playoff points. He scores every other game in the playoffs. Pretty darn good at that. He's scored 65 goals in the regular season before. He, in my opinion, is the most gifted goal scorer I've ever seen in an era where you don't see a lot of goals being scored. But it's the rest of the game that was vintage Ovi. He missed a wide-open net. He was on the ice for the Hornquist goal. And he slid and tried to block the shot off of Schultz. He was on the ice and really to blame for the Crosby goal. He needs to break that pass up. I like the fact, if you're a Capitals fan, that Ovechkin's trying. He's just not good at those things. It was a hell of a play by Schultz, head up, stepping to his right, flicking the puck to the net, making eye contact with Hornquist. That's the reason the play happened. But Alex Ovechkin's got to be more disciplined there. As for the Crosby goal, I mean, the puck evaded him like a Stanley Cup. Just awful. And he knew it. He slammed his stick on the glass. He fell to his knees after he missed the wide-open cage. Brian LaMartina and I were talking about this as we hopped on the elevator on my way here today. And he said, I think I could have put that puck in the net. And I think he could have, too. Ovechkin needs to not try to shoot that puck as hard as he possibly can. Ovechkin just needs to get that puck on the net. And if he does, it's going to be a goal. And the Penguins are going to be on their heels from the early going. How about that Penguins' first line last night? I talked ad nauseum yesterday about how the Penguins don't have much depth now that they don't have Malkin and Haglin. Their second line is effectively no longer there. They're playing a line short. But boy, does that first line make up for it. Gensel's got a 35% shooting percentage in the playoffs. That's not going to keep up. But he's getting so many good looks that I can't help but think he's going to finish some of them. Crosby didn't have a great start to the game. He completely butchered a two-on-one where he laid a drop pass to nobody. But that line was the story of the night for me, apart from the goaltending situation and Ovechkin puking on himself. Niskanen and Ovechkin both said after the game that it was a bounce that got the Penguins scoring going. That the Hornquist deflection was fortuitous. And okay, sure, it was. But let's not pretend like the only reason that happened was because of luck. The Penguins had chances all night long. That line had chances all night long. The opening shift, Gensel threw one to the net, and Crosby didn't get enough of a stick on it. Crosby got denied by Braden Holpe at one point. Jake Gensel shot one off the crossbar. The Penguins' first line had all kinds of chances, and in any other game, one of those is going to go in, and the Capitals won't have anything to gripe about. They won't say, oh, it was a bad bounce. It was just hockey. Well, they kept coming and coming and coming, and eventually... The dam just broke. You can only plug that hole for so long. And they couldn't hold it any longer. It's not about lucky bounces. It's about stick to It's not about lucky bounces. It's about being outworked. And the Penguins outworked them in the third period. They just did. I know the shots don't add up that way. Most of that has to do with Washington chasing the game from the 12-minute mark on. But the Penguins won puck battles in order to put the puck in the back of the net. Patrick Hornquist won one in the corner and then wound up getting it to Schultz, who threw the puck to the net, where guess who was standing there? Patrick freaking Hornquist. Sidney Crosby setting up Gensel. That puck was given away by Braden Holpe. The Penguins were strong on the wall. It's not about luck. It's about playmaking. It's about knowing how to get the job done when things matter most. And that's why Washington ain't going to win this series. That's why the Penguins are. And I know I've said for the last couple of days that Washington's going to put up a fight. My God, they will. They were up 2-0 in this game. But at the end of the day, Washington always loses because they don't 
win that puck battle. Washington always loses because they don't make that save. Washington always loses because their captain scores goals and doesn't do enough on the other side. Washington always loses, period, end of sentence. If the Penguins' top line keeps getting chances, they're going to bury you. It was a bounce that went in, but it should have happened before that. Ovechkin fumbling the puck on the Crosby goal got me pretty excited in the pants. It was a broken play, but they've got so much talent. All they need is an inch, and they'll take a mile. That was the most Washington Capitals way to lose a game. We are at the Carson City Saloon. Bud Light happy hour from 6 o'clock until 7. We'll get to draft talk in a couple of minutes with Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. But one of the bartenders here at the Carson City Saloon was at the game last night. And he said, after Hornquist scored, Caps fans knew it was over. They're sitting on their hands. Washington has played terribly at home in these playoffs, losing the first two games against Columbus. They lose this one against the Penguins. Pittsburgh has had no problem winning there in the last three playoff series that they've beaten Washington. You just have that feeling that eventually the other shoe's going to drop. You just know, if you're a Capitals fan, that if the Penguins get one, they're not going to stop. And Braden Holpe, like I said yesterday, did not play a bad game. Braden Holpe stoned the Penguins in the early going. Stoned them. He was outstanding. He looked like a Vezina Trophy finalist, and I thought he was going to steal that one for Washington. But the thing about Holpe that I said is that he doesn't play poorly. He just lets in the one. The one. That's all it is. The one that he shouldn't. And the Crosby goal? Brah. You got to get on your knees fast. Maybe you can learn something from Mia Khalifa. Coming up next, Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We'll switch our gears from Penguins hockey to the Steelers' perplexing first day of the NFL draft. More hockey coming up at 440 with the five-minute major. Terrell Edmonds, he's a stiller. Seems like a nice guy. Can he cover, though? It's the Crowley Show. We get it. You want funds for a vacation without the frustration or the money for a wraparound porch without the runaround process. Whatever your plans, a home equity line of credit from First National Bank makes it easier with a simple application and some of the lowest rates around. So you get a great deal without the ordeal. Get started at your local First National Bank branch or visit us at fnb-online.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 766-529. Mia Khalifa, I mean, she's just a perfect Capitals fan. They're always blowing it. Ovechkin was on his knees. Hell, they should be on their knees praying. Because they always just take it from the Penguins, and the Penguins always eventually wind up coming from behind. Man. ESP. Football never sleeps. Ray Fittipaldo probably hasn't either. He joins us now from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray, I'm sure last night was a long night. I know tonight will be a long night, and tomorrow will be a long day, so I appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely, Adam. How are you? I'm great, buddy. I guess we start with the obvious. What are your initial thoughts on the Terrell Edmonds pick? You know, I think everyone was a little bit surprised when they heard it. But, uh, you know, if you look at what the draft analysts have said about this draft for quite some time now, it was really, you know, between 15 and 20 and uh, from 15, say, up to 50, you know, it was really, there was really a lot of, uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of difference between the prospects. There were only about, 12 or 15 elite guys out there. So when a guy is sort of a surprise pick at the end of the first round, like Terrell Edmonds, you know, it could be, it could be, it could happen where the Steelers have a first round grade on him and somebody, some other team uh, has a late second round grade because it's just that close between these prospects. So 
Um, he's a height, weight, speed guy. He's athletic. He's versatile. He's smart. He's a communicator. So I think all of those things are, are things you can build on. I think some of the issues the Steelers fans might have uh, is that he didn't have a great uh, redshirt junior season last fall. Kevin Colbert seemed to indicate yesterday that was because of a shoulder injury. So we'll have to see where, where that goes. But, you know, he does have everything they're looking for in a safety. He's got the measurables, and you know, now it's time for you know, Coach Tom Bradley to coach him up and uh, see if he can get him on the field this fall to, to help his defense. Yeah, let's stick with that a little bit. How do you think they've developed Artie and Sean Davis to this point? And uh, obviously I think the hope is that uh, we can see uh, things change under Tom Bradley. Yeah, well, it's a big year for both of those guys, really. I think Artie um, has shown flashes his, his first couple of years. He won that uh, won that starting job midway through his rookie year, and I think last year he was okay at times, but he struggled at, at other times. And I think he's got to find consistency. I think the same is true for for Sean Davis. Really, I think he missed a lot of open tackle, uh, tackles in the open field last year. Um, hasn't been really a, a splash playmaker. So um, I think they're looking for those guys to develop more under Tom Bradley. And um, you know, we've talked about it in the past. They got rid of uh, Will Gay, Mike Mitchell, and Rob Golden, and. I think the desire was to get younger and to get more versatile and more athletic. And I think with the addition of Edmonds, um, I think in time they're going to ha- have a really nice piece to that secondary. I don't know if he's a guy who, who's going to project to playing early, but um, when you look back at the last couple of years, Adam, they haven't been afraid to throw those first-rounders into the mix uh, early either. No, they absolutely have not. There's no question about that. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, whether or not you like the pick, I think that the Steelers now have enough pieces on that back end where they feel like they can match up, and they feel like they can mix and match. And I think that's really what they're shooting for here. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a matchup league. Um, you know, you talk to any general manager, any coach now, and they're looking for um, different types of athletes in that secondary to um, cover those different types of receivers that these offenses are deploying. I mean, you need a 6'2", 220-pound safety to cover a tight end uh, like Rob Gronkowski or some of these other pass-catching tight ends. In the league, you also need those 5'10", 190-pound um, slot corners to match up with those shifty players who are playing in the slot now. So it's really a matchup game. If you watch the Steelers um, anytime under Todd Haley, I thought he did a great job of just spreading people out, getting different matchups that were favorable to the Steelers and, and taking advantage of them. And I, I think that happens across the league. So I think you're right. I, th- I think a guy like um, Edmonds with his athleticism is going to fit in very well here. Um, now it's just a matter of, you know, seeing where, where all the pieces fit. You know, where, where does Morgan Burnett go? Where does Sean Davis go? I think that's going to be the really intriguing thing here as we get set for OTAs and then training camp later in July. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by all of that. Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette joins me here on the Crowley Show. I think they got enough guys where they can feel confident in, in dime situations. Where William Gay last year, I don't want to bag on the guy because he's had a good career, and I think he was largely beaten up by Steelers fans when he didn't need to be. Last year, perhaps, I think some of the criticism was valid, but I think that they now feel like they're in a better spot than they were a year ago in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And we haven't even talked about Cam Sutton yet. Uh, last year's third-round pick, who was hurt for a lot of his rookie season, and I, I think they're expecting him to, to come in and compete and challenge for playing time, too. So... Um, yeah, I mean, Brian Allen, a fifth-round pick last year, he's a bigger guy, uh, a guy who's, who's safety-capable as well as playing on the outside of the corner. So they've got a lot of different athletes. They've got tall guys. They've got short guys. Um, you know, they've got guys who can come up and thump you. Um, uh, you know, Morgan Burnett's going to be an interesting guy because 
uh, not only is he versatile, but he's experienced, and they're going to expect him to come in here and um, I think at least in the early portions of his career be sort of be the quarterback of this group. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how everything unfolds here. I think change is good sometimes, Adam. I think any time that you give up 45 points in a playoff game, I, sure. I think everyone is you know ready to turn the page on that. And I think, um, you know, I, I think with these new, new guys, I, at the very least, I think it's going to be very intriguing to see how this, uh, you know, sort of unfolds here over the next four or five months. The other intriguing thing about last night was tracking what the Steelers were going to do after they traded Martavis Bryant to the Oakland Raiders. Were they going to utilize that pick to try to move up in the draft, uh, or were they just going to use that pick as a pick? Did they get value for Martavis Bryant, and did you think that they were trying to move up? Do you just think that that's the pick that they're going to use to try to replace a guy like Martavis? No, I think, you know, I mean, Kevin Corbett's never going to tell us for sure, but um, if you remember going into this draft, they didn't have a fourth-round pick, so they didn't have a lot of assets to trade if they didn't want to move up. So I don't, I don't think it was crazy if they don't an hour before their pick was ready to be made. I, I do think they, they maybe had intentions of, of moving up to take Rashawn Evans. But, um, listen, the Tennessee Titans beat him to the punch, and that's what happens when you're, you're good. You're, you're drafting late, and you've got to hop over all these teams to, to get who you want. And a lot of times it really doesn't work out, so... Um, you know, now they're in a position. It's, it's, it's not a bad position. They got three picks tonight. Um, and they need an inside backer. They need a receiver. And, um, you know, sort of the, the third pick tonight, I think it's sort of a wild card. I think you can go O line, you can go D line, you can go outside linebacker, you can go a lot of different ways. Running back. So, um, they, they got a lot of, uh, of holes to fill. And I think having that extra pick, um, here in the third round is, is going to serve them really well. Um, Kevin Colbert on Monday, Adam, said that uh, he thought there were 90 players in this draft who were capable of, of coming into the NFL and being starters someday. And with four picks uh, uh, among the first 92, I think they're going to be in position to, to be pretty happy with with those four guys. So while it, it, it probably didn't work out the way they wanted with Rashawn Evans, you know, regarding the Martavis Bryant trade, I, I think um, – um, you know, I, I think the end result is going to be okay, too, because I think it's going to be very comfortable with the players they select tonight at 60, 79, and then 92. Do you think that the Steelers are making a concerted effort to get rid of the headache-type guys, or do you think it just sort of happened by happenstance? Mitchell, Bryant, and then Harrison, the way he behaved at the end of last season, all gone. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that today, Adam. I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Um, you know, Mitchell with his antics at the end of last season and, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny, too, because he was a problem guy. And, you know, he played through injury. He was a tough guy. But um, when you run your mouth the way he does, you sort of become a distraction. And I, I think the biggest, one of the biggest distractions last year, um, you know, the Mitchell stuff happened late in the season. But, you know, the Bryant stuff, the drama sort of midseason, and that sort of, that sort of seemed to linger for like almost a week or two, um, looking back on it. He, he turned into a good citizen because, he really had no other choices, but you know, for that week or two, that was kind of a, you know, kind of something that you know all of his teammates had to address in the locker room. So, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but I, I, I do think um, if you think back to some of the comments of David DeCastro, um after the Jacksonville game, and you know some of his offensive line guys, um, they were sort of sick of that stuff. And I, I think maybe the message got through to to Kevin Colbert and to Mike Tomlin that maybe they did have to to change the culture a little bit and. You're certainly not going to hear any arguments from me that those guys are gone. I, I think it's good to, to start, you know, start new with some some guys with some better character, and you know, hopefully that's you know they get some of those types of guys 
um, you know, with Edmonds and whoever comes tonight and tomorrow. Ray Fittipaldo, one of our favorites from the Post-Gazette, joining us here on the Crowley Show. I don't worry so much, going back to the Martavis Bryant trade, about them having created another hole on the roster because they've got such a good track record of developing wide receivers. Uh, you've mentioned how many different positions could be targeted tonight. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them go after a wideout. No, and Christian Kirk, uh, receiver from Texas A&M, took a pre-draft visit to the Steelers. Uh, there's Dante Pettis from uh, Washington, who's probably the best you know, receiver-slash-punt returner in this draft. you got James Washington, uh, a deep threat from Oklahoma State, who's probably going to be a second- or third-round pick. So there's a lot of guys who can fit different roles for you. And now for the Steelers, it's sort of interesting. You know, what way do they go? Do they sort of go for that Martavis Bryan clone, that deep threat who's going to sort of back safeties off? If they do, you know, maybe that's a guy like uh, like uh, James Washington or Cortland Sutton or an equanimous uh, St. Saint, uh, Brown from, from Notre Dame. Um, but you also have options because, you know, Eli Rogers remains unsigned. Um, they could probably upgrade from him even if he does come back. So you can go, like, to uh, an Anthony Miller from Memphis or a Dante Pettis from Washington and get a real shifty slot guy who's also going to be your punt returner. So I, I think the nice thing about having three picks tonight, they're going to have some options of, of which way they want to go. Some guys might fall to them, and I think they're going to get a really good receiver one way or the other. I'm just interested to see if it's a slot guy or if it's going to be um, you know, a deep threat guy to replace Martavis. One thing that Pitt fans and me, a West Virginia fan, can agree on is that James Washington would probably look pretty good in black and gold. Uh, that guy is a stud, and my God, did that guy torture uh, both of those football teams. <laughs> uh, as for the Browns draft, Ray, I'm just interested in kind of taking the temperature here with anybody I talk to today. In my opinion... Look, I like Baker Mayfield, but again, it kind of goes back to the, hey, he tortured West Virginia thing. But I think that the best player in the draft got taken immediately after their first pick, and I actually think that the second best player in the draft got taken immediately after their fourth pick. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they had a, a chance to get Barkley or Chubb, and they, they didn't get either. And, uh, you know, the way that unfolded, Adam, I just have to think that they liked Baker Mayfield yeah. that much more than, than Sam Darnold or, or Josh Rosen or you know, any of these other quarterbacks. So, um, you know, when you're a GM of a team, sometimes you got to make those calls. Um, you spend all this money on scouting and, um, you know, this entire process since, since the season ended. And I, I think sometimes you got to go with your gut. Now, if it doesn't work out, we're all going to be laughing at the Browns again because they drafted another quarterback who didn't work out. But um, at the very least, you got you, you, you do have to sort of, uh, you know, admire John Dorsey's, uh, you know, sort of stepping out there and taking – probably the most controversial quarterback in this draft. And, um, you know, we'll get to see him twice a year, so we'll certainly get to see this play out um, right in front of our eyes. Yeah, no doubt about it. And they obviously hope he's not the next Johnny Manziel. I don't think he is, but, hey, we shall see. In fact, I was a big Baker guy. My only concern was he was going to wind up in Cleveland. And uh, I think he could have a great NFL career. I do think that the chances go down slightly if he winds up with the Browns. Last thing here for you, and not, again, not about the Steelers, but Lamar Jackson winding up with the Baltimore Ravens with the 32nd pick in the draft. I thought Ozzie Newsom had himself a nice night last night, tinkered a little bit his last time drafting as the GM of Baltimore. Uh, what do you think about that pick? I think that guy's going to be bothering the Steelers for years. Yeah, how about Ozzie going out with a bang, drafting a, a tight end, which, of course, he was um, you know, with the Browns and then trading back up to, to get Lamar Jackson. So... Um, you know, I, I sort of uh, was reading what was said at, at Lamar Jackson's news conference today, 
Um, he's going to be a quarterback. They have no intentions of using him, uh, you know, in a, in a slash role. So I don't think he, the Steelers have to worry about him in 2018. But, you know, if Joe Flacco struggles this year, I think they might have to deal with that guy in 2019. He's not a sure thing, but if they figure out a way to play to his strengths, um, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Browns, all those teams uh, are going to be in for, a, for a, a, some tough matchups in future years because he is the most dynamic athletic quarterback in this draft. Now it's just a matter of can they figure out how to play to his strengths and how to get the most out of him. Ray, I've got the graveyard shift tonight from the Steelers facility doing the draft show, so I will see you there, buddy, and always appreciate you taking the time. I'll talk to you in a bit. All right, Adam. See you down there. There he goes. That is our friend Ray Fittipaldo from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I think he's really good at his job, and he's also a tremendous human being. Coming up next, I'm sure Ovechkin's a nice guy, but uh, you know, not so great on the defensive side. Now, some fortuitous bounces for the Penguins, some bad luck for him, but it's just the way it always works out for the Capitals. We'll talk about it in the 5-Minute Major. It's the Rally Show. Everyone likes to, you know, um, scrapbook. Use scrapbook on the couch, the kitchen counter, and your favorite place to scrapbook, the bedroom. And what could possibly make scrapbooking any better? KY Duration. With KY Duration Spray, men everywhere are scrapbooking longer, and that's great for their partners who really enjoy scrapbooking, too. So go ahead, scrapbook tonight with KY Duration Spray for men. Last longer, stay in the moment. Use as directed. Yeah, I mean, Mia Khalifa is just the perfect Washington Capitals fan. And they're just, they're always choking. Gagging. It's disgusting. It's typical. Because she's a porn star. Oh. Yes. Hi! Tom! That's a pretty hot track that you're spinning right now. You mind if I spin one of my own? Why, of course not, Harry. Please, the floor is yours. Thank you. Hey, Adam, you ever heard of this Cardi B girl? Yeah, she's pretty good. Yeah, all the angels in heaven. We can't get enough of her. I love this song. Hi. Hi. Came through dripping. Came through dripping. Came through dripping. Diamonds on my wrist, they dripping. Ice. Came through dripping. Came through dripping. Came through dripping. Diamonds on my wrist, they dripping. Eyes. What do you think of this? I'd prefer if she sang it. Hey, I like to call her cardio, because she gets my heart pumping. You want to take it from me? How about Carrie B? That's not bad. There's a guy. Oh, jeez. Cubs tied with the Brewers here, 2-2. Bottom seventh at Wrigley. Run around first. We'll keep you posted as it goes along. Take it away, Cardi. We are... At the Carson City Saloon on East Carson Street, and there is a guy standing on the corner here next to the bar who's got a scythe or a sickle. It might be a giant number seven, but he's spinning that thing. There's also a dude with a brown paper bag, and I'm telling you, there's not a pop in there. It looked like they were getting a fight before. Now it looks like he's going to harass this girl who's walking by. He kind of did a little bit. What the hell's going on? Uh, I might call the authorities. Now he's walking away. Now he's walking away. It's terrifying. And in fact, I'm not going to go outside until I know that he's not going to be any threat to me or my family. Hey, it's time for the five minute major. 
It's time to get pucked up with some of the best damn hockey talk on the planet. You go to the box, you know, uh, you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. This is the 5-Minute Major with Adam Crowley. If you are new to the show, shame on you. Thanks for joining the 700%. You are now part of the brigade of snowflakes. But what we do in the 5-Minute Major is we just talk X's and O's because we don't do that much on the show. We like to have fun. We like to break things down, but we don't like to get to the nitty-gritty except during playoff season when the Pens continue to play into the bright days of the summer. So without further ado, that third line did work last night. I thought Simone had a couple of great A scoring chances. First one was off the pad of Braden Holpe, and then the pipe. Gave him the pipe. Second scoring chance was a feed from Shahan after he won a puck battle, and he was stoned by Holpe. I liked that line all night long. Simone's been impressive when he's flexed into the lineup overall in the playoffs, whether he's been on the top line or on the third line. He's got better mitts than I think people realize. He's not the quickest guy, but he's got a good work ethic. If he's going to come in and out of the lineup, I like that. Uh, He's better than the alternative last year, which is Josh Archibald. He's a better player than Carter Rowney. But the point of me talking about the third line is just to give Mike Sullivan credit for keeping that line together. Because as I said, it was the third line. Uh, He kept the other third line as the second line, and this is the line that was able to do some work. Uh, I like the lineup choices by him. The fourth line was ass. We'll get to that a little bit later on here in the segment. But I thought first line, second line, and third line all played well last night. As for the Capitals, Braden Holtby, I feel bad for the guy. I do. Some empathy is starting to trickle in as it relates to Capitals fans and the team. I've got a good buddy. Name's Chris. He was my roommate in college. Huge Caps fan. Giant ape. The guy's a nut job. He kicks doors down when the Capitals lose. He'll throw beer cans, stuff like that. But he cares deeply about what they do. And he shouldn't. Braden Holpe, really good at what he does until he's not. And it was just such a Braden Holpe performance last night uh, against the Penguins. He made huge saves early, as I already alluded to on Simone. Made one on Crosby. He robbed Jake Gensel on a backdoor play late in the first. It was a tremendous feed from Brian Dumoulin. He stoned Dumoulin with about three minutes to go in the second period, and Dumo was walking in all alone. The Broussard line was hard on the puck. They won possession. Dumo had all day to shoot, and then Holpe stood up on the top of his crease. On the NHL Network, they showed that he was actually seven feet in front of the goal. That's fabulous goaltending. That is confidence. That's knowing that on that night, you're better than them. He also stopped Broussard in tight on the same shift. But as we've seen from Braden Holpe, he can be excellent in one portion of the game and then just absolutely pee down his leg later on. Crosby's goal was hard. It was a quick release, and it was along the ice. But that's just a save he's got to make. And while the Penguins have chased goaltenders all throughout the playoffs these last couple of seasons, Holpe included, I don't think Holpe's been abysmal the way that some of these guys have been. Bobrovsky is a mental midget when he plays the Penguins. He just can't beat them. Eventually, the Penguins were able to crack Lundqvist, and then a couple of times, he got tossed. Think about Pekka Rinne. I said all last year during the playoffs, he was a leaky Pekka. The guy just could not stop the Penguins here at PPG Paints Arena. The Penguins have made opposing goaltenders their bitch, and they've embarrassed them. Holpe's not really been embarrassed. He gave up six goals in Game 2 last year, but apart from that, he's been very good until he's not very good. He always gives up one more goal than he shouldn't. And that doesn't make him awful. It makes him better than all the other guys I've talked about. 
but it does make him a loser. And it does make him one of the reasons why they've lost. He's got to make that save. He just does. That's been his MO against the Penguins. Uh bunch. He stoned Pittsburgh a couple of years ago when they got up, or pardon me, last year when they got up 3-0. What game am I thinking of? Two years ago, sorry. In game six, they got up 3-0, and Connor Sherry had a wide-open cage. Happens a lot for Connor Sherry. In fact, at the time, it was Connor Sherry. Regardless, he stoned him. Glove hand stop. Would have put the Penguins up by four goals. Game over. See you later. Peace. But he gives up the Bonino goal in overtime, and it wasn't a terrible goal. But he gave up one more than he needed to give up. He gave up the Kessel goal earlier in that game. And really, if you're thinking about the goal that he's not supposed to give up, that's the one. Kessel's coming down, left circle, rips it, goal. Short side, awful. The Gensel goal yesterday, short side, deflection, yeah, but short side. Make that save, make the Crosby save. Uh, there's nothing you can do about the Hornquist one. That's a curveball, that's a deflection, it's tough. But he's got to make those other two. And specifically, if we're ranking them, he's got to stop Sidney Crosby. He just does. He's not been awful. He's been just bad enough. Both teams missed chances in last night's game. Both teams had a lot of quality chances in last night's game. And it kind of irritates me the way that Washington was speaking following the contest. Well, they got a couple of lucky bounces. And that's what a loser sounds like, right? It wasn't what we did. It's what they did, and eh, things just didn't go our way. Well, the Penguins had a lot of chances early that the good Holpe stopped and that the post stopped. Broussard hit the pipe. Gensel hit the crossbar. Both teams missed chances. Capitals fans, the Capitals themselves, oh, well, if Ovechkin doesn't miss the wide-open net, if Connolly buries one, uh, if Backstrom deflects the puck in on the power play, well, we're talking about a whole different game. Yeah, sure thing, but both teams did it. Ovechkin missed a wide-open net, would have blown the roof off the building in the first period. Oh, well. Kuznetsov slithered one under the pads of Murray, didn't find its way in. Oh, well. Simone and Gensel both hit post. Simone and Gensel reach Rob. And as well as the Capitals played in the early going, and that's been the talk of our town today. Well, the Capitals really came out flying. They did. But I think the Penguins matched them scoring chance for scoring chance in the first period. Might not have tallied up that way. There were three or four times that the Penguins could have had a goal. Just as well as they could have had goals. That's the reality. That's hockey. That's playoff hockey. One thing that bothers me, uh, there's this narrative that you have to play a full 60 minutes if you want to be successful in the playoffs. It never works that way. It's a cliche, and a lot of times cliches are cliches for a reason. This one, not so much. You can't help yourself in the playoffs if you don't win all 60 minutes. You've got to play all 60. You've got to play a complete game. It doesn't happen that way. The Penguins are going to have pushes. The Capitals are going to have pushes. Think about last year. How many times in that first-round series did Columbus look like the better team? A lot. The Penguins won the series. How many times did the Capitals look like the better team in the second round? A lot. And yet the Penguins won the series. Ottawa had a lot of pushback. It goes back and forth. In the Stanley Cup final, the Penguins were up two games to nil in that series and played like ass in both those games. It is not ever going to be a 60-minute game. Both teams have pulses. It's the way it works. And in hockey, when one team's hemming you in, they're hemming you in. You're not going to do anything about it. You're going to try. But when they're playing well, you're going to get trapped in your own zone. It goes that way. It's like tennis. When the ball's on the other side of the net, it's on the other side of the net. It'll come back to your side eventually. You just got to stick with it. And that's what the Penguins did a really good job of last night. And this Penguins team, more than any team in recent memory, busts that narrative a bunch.
Both Jumo and Latang were on the ice for both goals the Capitals had. On the first goal, Gensel got back, but I don't think he did enough a good enough job of sagging. He didn't match the speed of Kuznetsov. Latang needs to be more cognizant of that before jumping Ovechkin. The second goal, Latang jumps in on the play, but he didn't affect the puck, and the Capitals were off to the races. You've got to see Latang get his stick on the puck and keep it in the offensive zone in that circumstance. I thought he was largely fantastic. Other than those two moments, the lot takes is two moments in the playoffs, and you're aft. The fourth line was astastic, and that's not good. They didn't have a shot attempt on net. Not one. Zero shot attempts for the game, and double digits against them. That unit was on the ice for about nine minutes, and they got buried defensively. It was awful. The Penguins need to get healthy with Malkin and Haglin, because you want those guys in the lineup? but also because you want the fourth line to be better. A texture suggests that maybe Josh Jorris should get into the lineup. I don't hate that at all. I think he's a better player than Carter Rowney. Last thing here in the five-minute major, we're going to get to Josh Getzoff of the Penguins Radio Network in a few moments. Washington's blown three two-gold leads in the playoffs this year. That's more than the rest of the playoffs combined. And the Penguins have two two-gold comebacks in the playoffs already. Also, I don't think the Penguins were great in their own end zone in the end of the game. Multiple giveaways led to cap scoring chances. A lot of bad clears and passes right to Washington. They need to be better or the Caps will eventually make them pay. I like the five-minute major. In this case, it was the 15-minute major because it gives me an opportunity to make sure I don't miss anything over the course of a game. If I did, though, we'll clean it up with Josh Getzoff next. Getzoff. Hmm. It's a Crowley show. This month, drive into spring with a brand new Chevy. Hi, this is Tun Chilkin for my friends at Calusi Chevrolet. Did you know that the team at Calusi has been in business for 100 years? So whether you're in the market for a new or a pre-owned vehicle, you need to check out their huge inventory. They have a great selection of crossovers like Equinox, Traverse, and the Chevy Trax. And you can trust the team at Calusi Chevrolet to make the process easy and hassle-free. Find them online at Calusi.com. Chevrolet, find new roads. Man, that Cardi B's got some jams. Drip, drip. Drip, drip. Speaking of dripping, Mia Khalifa. Oh, my God. What happened? Are you serious? What happened?